Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Ohio. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Once upon a time, there was a show called Wife Swap, and I'm pretty sure that's not how you expected this episode to go, but that's where we are. Back in 2008, there was an episode that swapped the Stockdale family and the Tonkovic family. The Stockdale family was a family of six. Two parents and their four sons, Calvin, who was 19, Charles, who was 16, Jacob, who was 15, and James, who was 11. The Stockdale family was kind of like a mixture between the Duggars and Little House on the Prairie. The family said they had moved out of what they called the city to get away from violent language, sexual influences, drinking, smoking, and rap music. Based on property records, it looks like they did this in 1998. They moved into this 1,352-square-foot farmhouse and turned their few acres of land into a farm where they grew and raised everything they ate. And even though there were six of them in the house, there were only three bedrooms, so each boy had to share a room. And from the looks of the show, it looks like each of the older boys took on rooming with each of the younger boys, as opposed to the older boys sharing one room and the younger boys sharing another. I can only assume this was done to have the older boys positively influence the younger ones, because this family was 110% about structure, and not like, do everything you're supposed to do and then you can watch TV or play video games, because video games, TV, and dating were strictly prohibited in the Stockdale home. According to the family manual the Stockdale mom, Kathy, gave to the swap mom, the four boys knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing from sunup to sundown. They had homeschool, did chores, ran the family farm, practiced for performances, went to bed, and started all over again the next morning. And we'll address the practicing for performances in a minute. All of the boys' chores were assigned and managed on a little book underneath their chore chart. For every chore they completed, they hung a token by their name. And if they did their chore with a glad heart, they could get an extra token. Because according to mom, just because a job is done doesn't mean it's done right. With these tokens, the boys could earn rewards. The show said it cost 20 tokens to be allowed to listen to an approved radio show of their mom's choice, but I've actually seen 20 and 100 tokens mentioned for the radio privilege, but either way, that's a lot of chores and smiles for a boombox by the bed for half an hour. It should also be mentioned that they could also trade their tokens for a stick of gum. When it came to mealtime, the manual detailed exactly what that would consist of too, and though it's since been removed from the internet, users on Web Sleuths were able to take some quotes from it that have lived on on the internet. According to those quotes, every night around dinner time, their mom Kathy would ring the giant dinner bell outside and everyone would head in. At dinner, the boys would each have to eat a spoonful of cod liver oil. Now, this shit is available in capsule form, but no, they were taking it by the spoonful, which is fish liver oil, so God bless us all. They also drank kefir with flax. Now, flax we've probably all heard of, but kefir can give you the mouth sweats just thinking about it. It's fermented milk. And there are some more modern versions of this today, but the Stockdales were not about the modern life. In the episode of Wife Swap, you can see one of the boys pour their chunky fermented milk on top of a bed of flax, and I don't know if you drink it or chew it, but that's a dilemma I never thought I'd have to struggle with. 
Some of the other items on the menu, according to those web sleuths quotes, were chicken gizzards, which are basically chicken guts like the throat and digestive tract, as well as sardines with mustard on toast and blueberry mustard shakes. I think we can all agree that the boys at least deserve to listen to a podcast of their choice, token free, after having to consume any of the above. All that being said, the boys honestly seemed to like their lifestyle, at least from the outside looking in. They did their chores, they did their work on the farm, they killed their chickens, they sang their prayers before dinner, cleaned the house, and ate or drank their kefir without any complaints. Now, I told you I'd mention the performance thing in a minute, and the minute has come. The Stockdale family was in a band, a bluegrass band known as none other than the Stockdale family band. Each kid played a different instrument, and they would practice in their living room while their parents danced. These kids were really good. I'm no bluegrass expert, but I know that these teenagers could play a fiddle and a bass like nothing I've ever seen. They would perform in barn theaters and houses in the area wearing matching outfits while dad and the boys sang It's a Hard Life, But It's a Good, Good Life, among other songs. Mom Kathy's role was to manage the band and sell their CDs. Performing was some of the only outside interaction these boys had. According to snippets of the family manual still floating around on the internet, it said, I do not promote a lot of leisure time for the boys. We do not hang out. I insist that the boys have a focus and purpose to any activity so that the boys do not become corrupted by meaningless relationships. And she meant it. I saw a mention of there being song lyrics posted in the bathroom so that while the boys were in there, they were memorizing song lyrics. So even bathroom time was still practice time for the band. The manual went on to say, The boys don't hang out at malls. If they socialize, it's through useful and wholesome activities like debate class where they can learn lifelong communication skills in a fun environment. From what I can tell, these debate classes were held at their home, so still their outside influences were pretty controlled. At one point during the show, the swapped wife asked the youngest boy, James, what he would do if he had free time. And the sweet little kid literally said that he would play with his brothers. That was what he wanted to do the most. The innocence in his response put the other wife in tears, so when it came time for her to change the Stockdale family rules, she was ready. She wanted the boys to have some control over the way they spent their time, and she wanted them to have some different experiences. She wanted them to play some video games, watch some TV, and go on a date. Now, you'd think that the boys would have been excited about these changes, but they really weren't. They were so used to their structured lives and felt such a sense of loyalty to the rules that the oldest brother, Calvin, actually took the swapped wife aside and went into protective mode over his brothers, actually crying that he was worried about the emotional effects that these changes might have on his little brothers. In a later video interview with TMZ, I mean, this is a television-heavy case, so the sources are going to be a little different than usual, the swapped wife said that Jacob, the second youngest brother, actually ran out of the house crying when she changed the rules. She told the outlet that when she caught up with him, he told her that his parents had basically told him that he'd burn in hell. To be fair, that was never aired on the show, but that's what she said happened. The kids somewhat embraced the new rules, and the oldest two, Calvin and Charles, wound up going on a non-date. Basically, they had a platonic dinner with two females, and I'll be damned if those boys weren't grinning from ear to ear. You know that excited, giddy feeling where you feel like you kind of need to hop up and down a little? That was them, and that's the first time you saw that kind of enjoyment out of the boys throughout the entire episode. Of course, they seemed pleasant and happy throughout, but this moment put a little extra twinkle in their eyes. 
When filming was over and the show aired on national TV, everyone was either having a strong what the fuck moment or a really conflicted moment. People felt like these kids were being controlled to an impossible expectation. They were told what to wear, what to eat, how to dress, and what to do. And a lot of people felt like they weren't given an opportunity to make their own choices. And they were constantly moving on to the next task without any real break to soak life in. I mean, when they were using the bathroom, they were still double-tasking learning song lyrics. All of that being said, though, it was also clear that there was a lot of love in that household. Those brothers had a bond like nothing I've ever seen. Sibling rivalry wasn't a thing, the boys worked hard and they worked well together, and they didn't bat an eyelash when they had to drink chew chunky milk. While no one could really figure out what they just watched or how they were supposed to feel about it, most people posting online about the show agreed on one question. They wondered what was going to happen when these boys grew up. They had lived such an extremely sheltered life. What were they going to do when they went out and got a job? How would they date? How would they do in college? How would they handle all of those things that their parents were trying to protect them from, like rap music or row rage? And the answer is, they did pretty well. Calvin went off to college, a liberal arts college at that, wrap your head around that one, and he actually joined a fraternity. The fraternity he joined was based around music and they would spend their time serenading the women at the college, which was a huge change from the whole no girls allowed upbringing he'd had. I mean, at 19 on national TV, he went on his first platonic non-date on a show. At that point, he hadn't even kissed a girl and even specified that he hadn't kissed a girl romantically. But now he was off doing his thing in a public education forum at a liberal arts college serenading women. So good for you, Calvin. Charles went off to college, too, in another state nonetheless, and seemed to thrive just like Calvin did. The Times reporter wrote that he actually wound up getting a doctorate degree. Between 2010 and 2017, the two youngest, Jacob and James, remained in the family band and it got some serious recognition. The outlet reports that Jacob became the Ohio Grand Fiddle Champion and they released their own album called Farm Fresh. Fox 8 reports that they also won the Heights Got Talent Award. All four boys remained extremely close even though the oldest two had moved out of state. But for Jacob and James, the band seemed to be the center of their lives, performing at those same local barns and theaters and sometimes donating proceeds to persecuted Christians in Iraq. In 2017, Jacob, who was now 25, and James, who was now 21, were still living at the family farm. Jacob's main focus seemed to be the band and furthering his fiddling, while James double-tasked. He started college and even started dating, but managed to do the music thing full-time as well. Jacob seemed a little more on the serious side, while James was the lighthearted smile in the wind. He didn't have a care in the world except for everyone and everything, and I hope that made sense. In a video shared by Radar Online, Jacob and James were spending time with family on Christmas. I can only assume it was Christmas of 2016. James and Jacob are sitting on a couch together, both playing the same guitar. And if that sounds difficult, it's because it is, but these two were musical geniuses. In the video, you can tell that James is super into it with a huge smile on his face, dancing while he plays it, and starts belting out a Christmas carol. 
Jacob joins in along with another guy and they start harmonizing with James. They're undoubtedly talented, but Jacob doesn't look as enthused as the other two. And while this is pure speculation and I could fully be talking out of my ass, Jacob was looking at his brother with a sense of love, but also a sense of, I'm only participating because I know this brings you joy, which is both endearing and a little sad at the same time. It's an interesting video to watch, especially when you know what happens just a few months later. Around the first week of June 2017, the Times reporter reports that the family band, now consisting of only Jacob, James, Dad, and another guy, had a little musical get-together at a neighbor's house. These houses are pretty spread apart on blocks of farmland, so going to your neighbor's house isn't exactly like walking across the street or down the block. One of the people at the gathering said that Jacob wound up leaving early, saying that he didn't feel too good. A few days later, right on schedule, Jacob seemed to be feeling better and the band played a gig at Wildcat Ranch where they crushed it. They all sang and danced in matching outfits, dancing around the one mic they shared, and each playing their designated instrument. Their harmonies were on point, they added a little humor to their show, and the crowd freaking loved it. They were kind of bluegrass celebrities in their little community. According to the outlet, the Stockdale family band had a big event scheduled at the Stark County Fair coming up in September of 2017, but that wasn't going to happen. On June 15, 2017, a neighbor told the Times reporter that he started hearing gunshots sometime between 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. He told Cleveland 19 that he heard five or six shots in a row, and then there was a break, just enough time to reload before he heard another five to six shots. He honestly didn't think much of it because everyone around there shot guns. This wasn't a highly populated area and people hunted and shot target practice all the time. I personally don't live far from big plots of land and I hear gunshots all the time. We actually hear them so frequently that no one really reacts, but what that neighbor heard wasn't target practice. He would later learn that the shots he heard that afternoon weren't coming from target practice or even from outside. They were coming from inside the Stockdale family home. A little after 4.30 p.m. that afternoon, the Stark County Sheriff's Office got word of a 911 hang-up call. They get those all the time, but according to the Times reporter, there was a storm in the area that day, and with it being so rural, it was affecting the cell service. They wanted to make sure that no one lost service during an emergency, so they had the call traced and went to check on the house just in case. When deputies pulled up to the Stockdale home, there was no preparing for what they were about to find. According to the police report obtained by Radar Online, they immediately saw a man near the doorway lying on his back with his face towards the front door. When they got close enough to verbally ask if he was okay, they heard a gunshot. It was at that moment that it was clear whatever the threat was in that house had still been a threat the entire time they'd been approaching it. They didn't know whether or not the shots were intended for them, whether they were a warning, or if someone in the house had just been shot. The deputies called for backup, and while they waited, the man on his back with his head facing the door never moved. When backup arrived and they tactically entered the house, they realized that the man on the floor was dead. He had been shot twice in the head and was 21-year-old James Stockdale. As deputies made their way through the house, clearing every room, they found the Stockdale mom, Kathy, upstairs in the bathroom. She was also dead from a gunshot wound. According to the Daily Beast, they found 25-year-old Jacob on the floor, just 10 feet away from James, and he too had a gunshot wound to the head. 
But Jacob's gunshot wound was different. It appeared to have been self-inflicted, and a shotgun was laying on the ground next to his body. Jacob was still alive, though bleeding uncontrollably. Jacob tried talking to the deputies on scene, but they couldn't understand what he was saying. They called for rescue, and Jacob was rushed to the hospital and then life-flighted to another hospital in an effort to save his life and try and understand what happened in that house. The Stockdale dad, Timothy, was at work when all this happened, and according to the Times reporter, he didn't get home until around 6 p.m. And when he was told that his wife and youngest son had been killed and that Jacob was in critical condition from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head, he fell to his knees and screamed. According to the Daily Record, it was Jacob who had called 911. James and his mom, Kathy, had been shot prior to the 911 hang-up call. And if we go on the latter end of the neighbor's account of the shots, he didn't call until about an hour and a half later and didn't shoot himself until deputies arrived at the house. And if the neighbor's account of how many shots there were is true, terror was running through the Stockdale home, one shotgun blast at a time, 10 to 12 times, with only one break to reload. By the following day, it was all over the news that the wife-swap family was involved in what authorities believed was a double murder attempted suicide. They wouldn't comment on what the motive was, but seemed to hint that they had a bit of an idea. It's no surprise that everyone rushed back to watch that wife swap episode from nine years prior, and the theory started flying. Had Jacob snapped after 25 years of control? I mean, if he did, why did he kill his brother? I mean, they seemed unbreakably close. Was he suffering from some kind of mental illness that caused him to momentarily lose control and do something he otherwise never would have done? Were those solemn looks in that Christmas video a small warning sign that something wasn't right? There were a million questions. And it was then that the Stockdale family website, which housed their family manual published on the Wife Swap episode, was taken down. While everyone across America tried to figure out what might have happened, the people who actually knew the Stockdales personally had a hard time believing any of this was even true. A pastor who'd known the family for 20 years told Fox 8, my immediate thought was no, no, I mean, that's got to be some sort of false story because there's no way that happened in that family. This pastor had been at that little music gathering shortly before the shootings and hadn't noticed any kind of warning signs that anything was wrong. He said that everyone who knows the Stockdale family loves them and that he couldn't think of anyone who would have anything negative to say about them, that the kids were always great and very loving and they were a really close-knit family. While Wife Swap portrayed them as this wildly restrictive family and rest assured some of that was wild, their little community's response to this was complete shock. The family was obviously pretty secluded and sheltered, but they did seem to have some really close like-minded friends. And those friends had nothing but positive things to say about both parents and every single one of those boys. In as much research as I did for this case, I didn't find a single quote where anyone said anything negative about either parent or any of the kids, including Jacob, even after this happened. With this case making national headlines almost immediately, the oldest Stockdale brother Calvin made a statement. 
According to Fox 8, he said, My family appreciates the prayers and support we are receiving from our friends and the community. We are mourning the loss of my brother and mother and are waiting to learn more about what transpired yesterday afternoon. We thank Sheriff Meyer and his staff for their help throughout this difficult day, as well as the staff at Altman and Metro Health Medical Center. When it came to Jacob, he said, I speak for our family when I say we love and forgive him. The prayers and support for my family have been deeply appreciated, and we ask for continued prayers for Jacob's healing. While we don't understand and may never understand why this happened, we want everyone, and especially Jacob, to know that we love and forgive him. Regardless of what Jacob may or may not have done, and it was leaning hard towards May, his family stood behind him from the beginning and with an attitude of love and forgiveness, something that most other people had a hard time understanding. They wondered why they weren't outraged in demanding justice for James and Kathy, and maybe they were, but they were also publicly declaring their forgiveness and grace for Jacob, regardless of the reason he did what he did. Because at that point, no one knew. He was in critical condition, and if he was going to survive, would need countless surgeries, and even then, might still face lifelong effects from his injuries. A GoFundMe account was created to cover the cost of Kathy and James's funerals. The Stockdales were a simple family without much, and they weren't financially ready to plan two memorials that they never saw coming. The GoFundMe wasn't just for the funeral costs, though. They were very upfront that the funds would also go towards Jacob's medical bills. And you might think that would have caused some kind of moral dilemma for some when it came time to donate, but it really didn't. There are over $31,000 worth of donations with notes like, with continued prayer for all of the family, and your family is in our heartfelt thoughts and prayers. May the God of peace sustain you. May the Father of lights make your path clear. Four days after the shooting, the Times News reported that while Jacob was still in critical condition, doctors were optimistic that he would make a recovery, which no one had really expected. Now there was hope that maybe they could get some answers. On June 24th, Kathy and James were laid to rest. The outlet reports that hundreds of people attended while the song Troubled Fields by Nancy Griffith played. Some of the lyrics are, If this rain can fall, these wounds can heal, and there's still a lot of love in these troubled fields. It took two months, but in August of 2017, Indie Online reports that detectives made their first attempt to interview Jacob. Unfortunately, he didn't provide any details about the shootings. According to the outlet, he declined to talk to them under legal counsel. They also noted that he seemed to have trouble communicating in general. Regardless of Jacob's willingness or capability to communicate, the sheriff told the outlet that, just from what we've looked at, we believe there's enough evidence to present it to a grand jury and he will probably be indicted on the charges. Jacob spent the rest of 2017 and the first half of 2018 in the hospital and a rehab facility recovering from his injuries. But after his release, when Jacob was able to walk and communicate, the Canton Repository reports that a secret grand jury was held. The grand jury was presented every single bit of evidence there was and decided to indict Jacob on murder charges for both his mother and his brother. His attorney was informed, and without any incident or resistance, Jacob went to the county jail and turned himself in. The following day, he pled not guilty. During a hearing in January of 2019, Pop Culture Crime reports that Jacob's attorney requested a psychological evaluation, something I think a lot of people, having gotten a glimpse into his childhood, saw coming and honestly felt like he deserved. A few months later, Jacob was deemed incompetent to stand trial. 
This decision wasn't a forever thing, it was just a right now thing. At the time, they didn't believe Jacob was capable of understanding and participating in his own defense, so he was transferred to a psychiatric facility to work on restoring his competency so that he could stand trial. They expected the restoration process to last about a year. This next part comes from TNZ, and for the love of all things, please don't judge me just yet. This case was very pop culture-centered because of their appearance on WifeSwap, so sources like TMZ were all over it. TMZ wound up obtaining some court documents, and according to them, in November and December of 2019, Jacob made two attempts to escape the facility. And escape is TMZ's word, not mine. In the first incidence, they reported that Jacob hid between some stacks of books in the facility's library, which made professionals concerned that he was trying to find a way to get out of the building, but that seems like a stretch. However, the next report, the one from December, said that Jacob tried blending in with a group of people who were on their way out of the facility. Jacob's attorney told TMZ that his client was never charged with any attempt to escape. In February of 2020, the Canton Repository reports that Jacob's competency restoration took less time than they'd originally planned. Less than a year after he was deemed incompetent to stand trial, it was restored. When it was time to head back to court, Jacob's attorney entered a plea on his client's behalf of not guilty by reason of insanity, which means that they had to prove that at the time of the murders, Jacob didn't understand that what he was doing was wrong. It's a hard mountain to climb, but it's been done before, and there were a lot of people who thought maybe it fit. There was a lot of sympathy going around for Jacob due to the public attention brought to the control of his childhood. The Canton Repository reports that Jacob was scheduled to have a video sanity review in April of 2020, but refused to participate. According to his attorney, Jacob has difficulty processing and speaking when using technology, and he may even have some fear of doing that. And when you think about the statement the other wife of his wife swap episode made, the one about Jacob being worried he was going to burn in hell for watching TV or playing video games, that made sense. But Jacob didn't seem to have any trouble using his own Facebook account with 114 friends. Another hearing was held four months later via video because COVID, and according to the outlet, Jacob sat emotionless, and when addressed by the judge, didn't respond. The judge actually had to confirm that the audio was working, which it was. The point of that hearing was to establish that someone needed to evaluate him in person to determine whether or not he was legally insane when he shot his mother and brother, and that was accomplished. In February of 2021, the Canton Repository reported that it was determined Jacob was not clinically insane at the time of the murders and would, in fact, stand trial in May. But that trial never happened, because in April of this year, 2021, Jacob pled guilty to the murders of both his mother and his brother, and according to News Talk WHBC, was sentenced to 30 years to life in prison, technically 15 years for each murder. To this day, no one knows what Jacob's motives were. No one has said a single word. While this case has been technically solved in every sense of the word, the mystery of what exactly happened in the Stockdale home on June 15, 2017, and why, has never been answered. 
Jacob will be only 55 years old when the mandatory 30 years of his sentence is served. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out the Stockdale family's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. I just wanted to add a side note because I know a lot of people are going to ask if you're interested in watching this episode of Wife Swap, it's season four, episode 15. I know that it's on Hulu and I'm sure it's other places, but that's the season and that's the episode.